Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Black Girl Burnout Podcast. Kelly here, and I am so excited for today's and this whole week's episode. We are interviewing the phenomenal Sonia Renee Taylor. She is a New York Times selling best author of seven books. She's a transformational thought leader, a world-renowned activist, award-winning artist, and founder of the international movement, The Body Is Not an Apology. Her work has reached millions of people by exploring the intersections of identity, healing, and social justice using a radical self-love framework. She continues to write, create, speak, teach, and transform lives globally. All of this is to say, Sonia is incredible. We have a very beautiful conversation about who she is, how she came to this belief system and this way of living where she says that her body is not an apology. It gets deep, y'all, but it, as always, gets deep and joyful. So let's dive right in with the first kind of snippet of our conversation with Sonia Renee Taylor, and we dive into who she is and how she came to create this life-changing piece of work called The Body Is Not An Apology. Hi, Sonia. I am so excited to have you here today. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, I'm super excited. I came in here, everybody, fangirling already uh, (laughs) to talk about the body is not an apology, the power of radical self-love. I love, love, love this book. I really Mm. want, if there's, I don't say this often, I'm a huge reader. I'm a huge bookworm, but this is like, I think a must. I feel like this is one of the mm-hmm. books that every black woman, every person who identifies as a black woman needs to read. I just mm-hmm. feel it's so powerful. I would say everybody, but we'll yeah. start I, with I everybody with, you know, I, I just very much everybody with the body, you know, but we yes. can absolutely start with black women. Yes. I, start there. <laughs> yes. Let's today, because it's black Alberta, I'm going to say everybody yes. listening needs to, uh, get a copy of this. And I will also say in full transparency, I owned this book for a year and a half and I sat it prettily on my shelf <laughs> and was like, I love this book. I love it's this. Look at this book. Beautiful look decor, at this cover. Look decor. at this cover. Everybody look in this back corner up here. This is the book. This is the book. Everybody need to read this book. But Kelly had not cracked the book. Read the book yet. <laughs> and I want to be transparent about why, because I think it starts the conversation. Yeah, I didn't read this book because I wasn't ready, because this isn't a book you read like your favorite romance novel where you just crack it open, flip through the pages. And yet it was the most beautiful, like coming home to myself moment when I started reading this book. So I tell folks, everybody read it, but know that you're not. This isn't a thriller. (laughs) This is is about work. Right. (laughs) 
it's necessary work. And so read it gently because I didn't mm-hmm. read it all in one setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason why I'm going to stop talking and fangirling and get into listening to you. But part of the reason why to set us up for this discussion of why I, you were at the top of the list of people I wanted to ask to be on this podcast is because you start off by talking about the ways that we have been shamed as a society for taking Mm -hmm. up any space. And Mm -hmm. you start about, it's even in our genes, which for me as a therapist, my, my actual research area was intergenerational transmission of trauma. And I did it through slavery. But I do believe the reason we have opted into struggle as Black women is a direct, there's a traumatic line that can be tied to slavery. And the ways that we're taught to be ashamed of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to start off because you tell this powerful story in the beginning about this conversation you have with someone about where you came with this phrase, the body is not an apology. And so I wanted to hear from you just in general, where did this come from for you to speak about this topic? Did you know Black Girl Burnout has a YouTube channel now? We created this channel to give you even more bonus content, things you will not find on the podcast like Hey Girl Chats. This is where we build community through conversation with ordinary women like you and myself. It's informal. It's fun. We guarantee you're going to love it. Also on the channel will be affirmations dropped monthly, as well as guided meditations and all our guest interviews. So head over to YouTube and opt in by subscribing to our channel and catch all the new content. Black representation in media means everything to me. Black girl burnout wouldn't exist if I couldn't look to other Black women in this space that came before me for inspiration and education on how to create what I've created. Well, if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices, look no further than NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. In this collection, you're going to hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how people have created world-shifting things out of struggle. I just listened to an episode with Tracy Ellis Ross, where it talked about how she's iconic and she's our favorite rich auntie. The episode was inspirational and educational and, of course, funny. It is important for us to hear ourselves and to understand the power of Black women and their voices and how much we can truly create. This new series by NPR centers the story of us in a way that hasn't traditionally been done. With Black stories, Black truths, you will hear a range of voices as nuanced and as varied as the Black experience itself. And it's also a reminder that our story should never be about us, without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had one extra hour in your day, how would you use it? I know for me, I'd love to read more, spend more time with the people I love, be more efficient in what I do. But the question might be, yes, I'd love extra time, but I don't know what for or how to make that a priority. If you're looking for ways to figure out how to squeeze that extra hour in your day or how to make it a priority, how to figure out what matters most to you, therapy can help you find that. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that having a therapist 
has been essential to me opting out of struggle. And I would be a hypocrite as a therapist myself if I didn't talk about the benefits of therapy and how much it's helped me personally, but how much I know firsthand it helps others. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched to a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash burnout to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash burnout. Yeah, I mean, I think that that illustration that I share at the beginning of the book really kind of solidifies that. I was in a conversation with a friend um, who was afraid she might have an unintended pregnancy. And when I began asking her questions about it, because I'm nosy, lovingly nosy. Uh, <laughs> um, she shared with me that, you know, she wasn't using protection with this particular partner uh, because her disability, she had cerebral palsy. She said her disability made her feel like she wasn't really entitled to ask for more accommodations. And I just, you know, I said to her, your body's not an apology. It's not something you offer to say sorry for my disability. And when I said it, it was so clear that there was something landing in me. There was an immediate resonance with all the ways that I too had come to be ashamed of my own needs, to be ashamed of my own um, particular way of inhabiting this body. And that that shame had made me compromise my values. It made me compromise my true desires. It made me compromise my belief in myself. And, And there was a way in which that phrase, the body is not an apology, your body is not an apology, made me want to be like, maybe that's not true. Maybe I don't have to be ashamed of how it is that I exist in this body, how I exist in this life, the things that I need, what my desires are. What if there's a reconciliation that's asking to to happen um, that is about actually not apologizing at all? Yeah. And so that really, once that conversation happened, a momentum began that I was sort of out of control of at that point. It was moving. It was moving through me. And, you know, the best thing I could do is figure out how to let that happen and get out of the way, <laughs> get out of my own head and my ego around it and and let what wanted to arise, arise. And it ended up being, you know, a 12-year a journey of a really beautiful whole reorientation with my relationship with my body and an offering to share with the collective around that. I think it's so beautiful the way, you know, when you first hear that phrase, the body is not an apology, it's striking. It, it hits you <laughs> really hard as you said it and you're moved to say it, but it's so much more than just the physical body, which trust me and you know more than anyone, we are very much attached to, and there's so much mm-hmm. a shame of shame around that. But you talk about the shame of you know, your needs, your wants, you know, your own feeling about yourself, that it was more than just your physical, I'm this tall, I weigh this much. Can you tell me a little bit about what is body shame? Like, what did you mean when you said that? How does that relate? Yeah, well, I've always talked about the body as uh, sort of like a trinity, right? That we are talking about our physical bodies. We are talking about our um, mental and emotional bodies. And we are also talking about our spiritual bodies. We're talking about what is my soul need? And 
And can I not be ashamed of that? What is my, you know, what does my body need? And can I not be ashamed of that? What does my, my emotions and my wounding need? And can I not be ashamed of that? And so, you know, there's all of these ways in which we receive messages that are not just about our physical bodies. We receive messages about, you know, if you're too loud, if you're too, you know, if you're too emotional, if you're too angry, like there are all kinds of ways of our beingness that we receive messages that are not, that those things are not okay. And so I really, you know, when this idea came through me, it was always like, oh no, all of it. No. I mean, all, what if we stopped apologizing for all of it <laughs> from, from the Ruta to the Tuta, what would that look like? And so that was the beginning of that dismantling of body shame. And it's, most vast interpretation. I always meant it beyond our corporal selves. Yeah. And I think that's so important because one, even though we are hyper-focused, and I think particularly we talk about Black women's bodies, there's a historical Mm -hmm. legacy of hyper-focus on Black women's bodies, right? And exploitation of Black women's bodies. That is definitely easy to draw that line. Mm -hmm. And we spend, you know, 90% of our time, when you first hear that phrase, you think, yeah, I'm not apologizing for how big or how small my boobs are. I'm not apologizing. You know, I'm five feet tall. I'm not, I'm done apologizing. Meanwhile, I'm on Instagram being like, yes, I'm short. I know I'm short. Um, We spend 90% of our time thinking about the corporal body, but it's the other pieces that it's so attached, right? Like where I'm talking about apologizing for being short, but really what I am saying underneath the I'm apologizing, saying, oh, yes, I'm short, everybody. I got to tell everybody real quick. I'm short because everyone says I expected you to be taller. Like you seem like a big personality. And there I am apologizing is underneath that is the belief that like, I'm sorry, I'm not enough. Not enough. Exactly. Or if I say, you know, oh, I, I got to change how I do this thing. I'm sorry, I'm too much. Mm-hmm. Right. I got to prepare you to receive not Kelly's physical body prepare you to receive all of me. And so I'm yeah. starting to make cut corners and, mm-hmm. and, and squish and fit myself. And yeah. it's not really about my physical being that when I say I'm mm-hmm. sure it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't take up enough space and then contrasting. Oh, I'm a lot. I tell yeah. people I'm a lot. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm too much. Exactly. And so drawing that line is so important exactly. and gets left behind all the time, all the time. And I think that's, you know, it, if, if I had a, a wish around my work, it would be that people really could see into the expansiveness of it. Cause you're absolutely right. There's this 90% of conversation is like the physical body. And what we're missing is that the, re- the only reason that we're even talking about the physical body is because we believe that it is a particular currency to a certain kind of access to acceptance, to love, to validation, to belonging, to connection, to these deeper human needs that we actually desire. And we've been told our body is how we get there. And so we're always like trying to figure out how to manage expectations or mitigate rejection or whatever through these bodies. But underneath that, what we're really saying is, am I lovable? Am I yes. lovable? Am I, me, this, this, this being, is this being lovable um, in this world that has told me there are a million ways in which it's not? And so let me see how I can navigate and manage and figure out how to, you know, in this language of opt-in, how can I opt into lovability under this structure? And, you know, the invitation that I think has always been inside of the work, the invitation inside of radical self-love is, what if that structure is a lie? 
right? What if that structure is a lie? What if this thing you think you're opting into, this, this externalized lovability was always an illusion and that there's always only invitation to come back to the, to the only true thing, which is our sense of love for ourselves, which from there, everything else can flow from. That And that so perfectly aligns with what came to me when I was talking about the language of opting out of struggle, right? That it's mm-hmm. a lie. Like, what if there was something different? What if there was another way than just buying into this myth? And to that point, you give us these three kind of steps to opt out. You call it mapping your way out of shame. I'm just gonna call it opt out of shame. And you talk about three ways of doing that. Make peace with not understanding, mm-hmm. which is so powerful. Like I had to sit with that for a minute because there's so many layers. Yeah. In the experience of blackness, there's so much of what we do and struggle that is about getting understood. Yeah. It's about, and then while we're fighting to be understood, we then deny other people the understanding, right? Because everyone fights, you know, we're on Twitter beefs with people, (laughs) the most silly version of this, right? Is our Twitter beefing, right? Trolling somebody being like, I'm going to tell you today. I, but really, it's like, I want you to see me and understand, and I'm just expending energy unhealthily and yeah. vice versa. We're taking away understanding from folks, right? So this yeah. pe- make peace with understanding. The second one was make peace with difference. Mm-hmm. So powerful. And making peace doesn't mean agreement. I always tell people this all the time. Like, I'm free to say, I don't like the color purple. It's one of my favorites, but mm-hmm. that's fine. And you can ex- you can make peace with that. Okay, purple's your favorite color. Right. Making peace with difference. And then the last step, which is so key, going back to this whole thing about the 90-20, the 90-10, mm-hmm. excuse me, that the last step is making peace with our bodies. Like it yeah. doesn't start there. We don't start it with doesn't... like, girl, you look good uh, in this <laughs> dress, right? Like this is it. It ends there, which is so yeah. important. Can you walk us through those three steps a little bit and give us some tips? Yeah. So, you know, this piece of make this idea of making peace with not understanding so much of our um, conflict, right, is about trying to make the world make sense to us. Right. And it, and we exhaust a tremendous amount of energy trying to make the world make sense to us. It, and the truth of the matter is, it's not. It can't. It's beyond. It's above your pay grade. <laughs> and the sooner, the sooner you make peace with the fact that there's stuff that's above your pay grade, you can remove an entire chunk of exhaustion off of your life. Right? It's like I don't understand that. And why do I like what? What is the impetus that tells me that I need to understand it? Right? And what is what is the story that I have attached to understanding it? that is rooted in, well, I'm either not worthy if I don't understand it, I'm not lovable if I don't understand it, I'm not enough if I don't understand it, right? You start to see how these things are tied to each other, how my need to understand a thing is tied to my sense of validity, of enoughness, right? And again, what the invitation is, is can I disentangle those things? I don't need to ever understand anything and it does not change my lovability, my validity, my worthiness, my enoughness as a, as a human being on this planet, period. And so can I let myself be like, okay, I just don't know. I just don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, there's so much freedom in it. I was, you know, and I grew up a notorious know-it-all. Like I was a know-it-all. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Right? <laughs> I think you'll find some of us in some different professions telling people things, right? <laughs> and one of the things that, 
you know, and it be, and I began to see how my like know it allness was really just like, how else will the world know I'm worthy if I don't have all the answers, right? And once I began to disengage that story, it was like, I don't, it's not needed, right? Like one, the world doesn't need to know that I am worthy. I need to know that I am worthy. And from there, then everything else comes from that place. And so that piece of getting rid of needing to understand really creates a spaciousness, right? A spaciousness in our lives. And then this, um, the aspect of making peace with, uh, with difference is, and it goes with, you know, we have these like categorization systems that humans do. It's like, right. I either I need to understand it or it's wrong. Right. If it's, if I can't understand it, then it needs to go in another category and that category (laughs) is wrong. Right. Uh, Because again, wrong allows me to protect my sense of self, my sense of worthiness and enoughness, because it's not because I don't know, which is me. It's because it's bad. (laughs) Right. Right. And so then everything we don't understand that's different than us becomes wrong, as opposed to just different, just the human, not even the human, the just universal law of variation, right? Like there's a reason there are more than just oak trees, right? There's a reason there are more than just schnauzers. (laughs) There's a reason, right? Because variation is how life lives. It wants difference. It needs difference. Difference creates contrast and vibrancy and beauty. And so when I find myself in the trap of sameness and the idea that like, something has to be the same in order for it to be acceptable. Where is that coming from? What is that actually about? Oh, and it's about, again, well, if it's different, then how will I know I belong? If it's different, then how will I know I have connection? How will I know I'm safe? We keep going back to these core central concerns of humanness, right? That are in some ways evolutionary, right? We were like, oh, same, my tribe won't eat me. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not a bad delineation system for safety in those contexts, but we're not in that context. And so evolution has devised all kinds of other ways for us to be that make sense with where we are now. This is an invitation to evolve beyond difference as some arbiter of our safety, of our belonging, of our, you know, connection. And the more difference, you know, that we allow ourselves to experience, the more expansive our worlds become. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity. You know, I was a military kid. And so we lived all over the place. Yay. <laughs> you military kids unite. unite. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and there was a way in which it really broadened my experience my horizon my perspective of the about like it made me an insatiable journey or it made me want to know all kinds of people and cultures and ideas and you know I remember the first time I had lumpia the Filipino lumpia and I was like yay right (laughs) there's a there's a gift in difference if we can learn to make peace with it if we if we divorce it from the story that somehow difference means disconnection because difference doesn't have to mean disconnection difference can actually mean expansion if we let it and then the last one, which is make peace with our bodies. And again, it's the idea that we have been socialized and conditioned to believe 
that these bodies are our currency in the world. They are a currency for belonging. They are a currency for lovability. They are a currency for um, social status. And so, you know, we need to be manipulating it. We need to be at war with it. We need to get it under our control. We need to dominate it and have it be the way we need it to be. And, you know, one of the things that I offer often is like, if you are in that relation, if you're a relationship of control, coercion, and domination with your body, like I've never seen peace, equity, justice, or love come out of those particular Mm -hmm. dynamics. And so if what you say, so first you got to get clear about what you want. Do you want domination and coercion or do you want peace and and love, equity, and compassion? Because if you want peace and love and equity and compassion, then you're going to have to start practicing someplace. And that place is with you. That place is with this relationship, with this, 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 you know, my ex used to call it fleshy thought tube, <laughs> this fleshy thought tube uh, that you have to traverse this experience called life. There's when we have peace inside of this, then we actually start to see that the story of currency is a lie, that the story that somehow I have to barter and buy my way into validity, into connection, into resource, that that's actually a lie. And the only reason it's still working is because we're all still invested in believing it. You know, we still opted in. Investing. We still opted in. As soon as you opt out, it's like them spams in your email box. As soon as you opt out, you just not even in. You don't care what Target has on sale this week. It doesn't matter, right? Your energy goes back to what it is you actually care about. So true. So so true. And if there's one thing I want to anchor before we you know, close out this today's episode is that you said, if you want to have peace, equity, and compassion, it has to start with you. Has to. If it, nothing else you get from this segment and there's way more to get, <laughs> it has to start with you. And that is you in the most expansive sense. And that is how you opt out. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can't, you know, and you can't opt into the new world, right? Into the, into that world of justice and peace and equity. Yeah. It's not an inside out. It's not an outside out, outside in job. It's an inside out job. Yes. 100%. More to come with Sonia Renee Taylor. Y'all know why I was excited to have. Uh, So we will be back. We're going to dig into now what we're going to opt into. because We're leaving behind shame. We're opting out of shame. And we're going to move into radical self-love. So more to come on that. So that's it for today's episode. Here are a few ways where you can support this podcast. First things first, if you haven't, subscribe and follow the podcast. We're streaming on all major platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, just to name a few. Subscribe and get each new episode as it drops. Secondly, subscribe to the newsletter. We have a monthly newsletter that is chock full of goodness and updates, as well as first access to all the giveaways we do here at Black Girl Burnout. Are you following us on our socials? If not, what are you waiting for? You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Burnout and on Twitter at BLK Girl Burnout. Last but not least, make our day and leave a review. Your five stars truly Give me and the team so much energy and we appreciate you so much.
Until we speak next, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.